Uh, that being said, how many people are ready for a word today? Awesome. All right. Uh, we've been in a series for the last few weeks. We're going to be finishing up today. And the series has been called Road to Greatness. And the, the title is, I, I wanted to just kind of pull people in a little bit, but once you got it, you find out that God has a great plan for us. He has this place that he wants to take us to that is high and lifted up for him, influential for him, far greater than anything that we could achieve or write out in a script for our own lives, right? But it's not about us getting everything we ever wanted. How many would agree there's a difference between a want and a need, right? Mom and dad told us that all the time, right? There's a difference between a want and a need, and it's true. So the road to greatness It's not about us getting everything we ever wanted, but let me say it in an encouraging way. It is about us having access to everything we could ever need for the sake of accomplishing God's plan for our lives here on this earth. Because I assure you, there is no supply chain backup in the economy of heaven. We may be seeing it worldwide right now on a lot of different, in a lot of different industries, but when it comes to God's supply chain, I mean, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He willed the universe into existence. I mean, he's not running dry anytime soon. What he's interested in doing is, is looking for men and women who have his heart to do his will, who he can entrust resources and provision to, who will steward them wisely and, and, and glorify God with them, and then God can continue to give them more because they've been tested and they've been proven, right? But the, whole, the, the road to greatness, if you look at the slide, it was intentional, the image here, because the path and the road, it's kind of a beaten path. It's, it's a dirt road, right? You might look at that and say, that's pretty unsuspecting. Uh, there's nothing real glamorous, Pastor. I was kind of imagining that, you know, maybe there was some marble and some, uh, some nice tile leading up, maybe some granite. Granite's pretty good, you know, maybe something like that. No, it's a dirt road, and that's for a reason, because it's the humble and lowly road, actually, that we walk out that leads us to a place where God can take us up to the places he wants to take us to. I encourage you to think about a, a scale that works in inverse proportions, right? It, and it, it says this all throughout the Bible, that when we humble ourselves, I'm totally dependent on Christ. I can't do anything without him. I need him for everything, right? Humble ourselves, then the Bible says, then God will exalt us. God will lift us up. But when a, when a man or a woman exalts themselves, you know, I got to prop myself up. I got to self-promote. I got to, I got to, you know, make me seen, make me known Then ultimately they're positioning themselves to come down. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And this is a law, a principle that is always in existence. No one circumvents it. And the idea is, is that God wants to take us to great places, but it's when we walk the humble road. Amen. So we've been looking at a life of a particular king named Uzziah, and we're going to go there one more time today as we open up where we've been these previous weeks, Second Chronicles 26. And Uzziah was a king who was known for many great accomplishments. Over five decades, it says that he reigned as king and did many, many amazing things. There's a laundry list of stuff that the Bible intentionally makes sure we know were accomplished under his kingship. But perhaps what he's most known for 
is that he started well and had a good run, but he finished poorly. So this principle of being raised up by God, and then somewhere along the line, it says that in his heart, he became strong. His heart was lifted up. The moment that that changed, then eventually led to a crash and to a fall. Uzziah ended up in isolation for the rest of his life. He was stripped of his kingship. He was struck with leprosy because he tried to force his way into the temple to burn incense when he wasn't allowed to. So he got this this idea that I can do whatever I want to do. It's about me now. I got myself here. You wouldn't be nothing if it weren't for me, right? Yet in the beginning, he was 16 years old, and it seems somewhere along the line he forgot where he came from. The things that he walked out for a long time were leaning. It says God was marvelously helping him, but then eventually his pride led to his destruction. And so I'm really wanting to encourage us to just consider and think about how this applies in our own lives, right? We have uh, great encouragement that God wants to take us to great places, but will we continue to cultivate and tend the garden of our heart so that we never forget where we came from? All right, let's go to 2 Chronicles 26. Just read a few verses here uh, again to, to peer into Uzziah's life. Verse 3, so Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 50 two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yecoliah of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So there's a life of obedience here we see. According to all that his, father's, uh, his father Amaziah had done, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. So he was trained in wisdom and discernment and all these things of understanding. And it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So those two things are linked together, right? They're contingent to each other. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Let's jump down to verses 15 and 16. Just quickly want to point this part out too. It says, so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. But when he was strong... His heart was lifted up to his destruction. It's a pattern we see all throughout Scripture. We're just diving kind of down into ground zero in this particular story in life to see it play out, but it's repeated over and over and over again. When he was humble, God lifted him up. And when he became proud, he came crashing down. Tells us in the prophetic book of Jeremiah that if we are going to glory in something, not to glory in riches, in might, or in power, but to glory in how we know the Lord. This is a powerful statement because to glory in something actually means the thing in which you shine with the greatest brilliance. It's the thing that perhaps I might say our life is most marked or known by. And so present it to you in the form of a question to think about. Is my life with Christ evident to those around me? Is my relationship with God that which shines 
with the greatest brilliance. Because we've discussed how really power, might, riches, God can disperse at his discretion any of those things that are needed or necessary. They're really tools. But when he's first, in our relationship with him is first, then everything else is in its proper order. So does my relationship with Christ, is that the thing which shines with the greatest brilliance? There ought to be evidence, residue, all over the place of the proximity that our lives are positioned in to make an influence. Wherever God has allotted to us is our sphere of influence. There ought to be evidence really all around that this is a man or a woman of God. It's not covert Christianity, church. It's not. It's evidence. But it's also not having to pound people over the head with it either. Am I making sense? You ever um, known somebody who had a really bad experience at a tanning salon? <laughs> you know, they come walking out and they got like the white circles around their eyes and their faces all red. And they got a big stripe going down the back of their neck where the bulb was burnt out on one of them. And they come out and they tell you, man, I had a terrible experience at the tanning bed. And you're like, bro, you don't even need to say it, okay? It's all over you. You're wearing it. So I, so I just believe with all my heart that when we are walking closely with Christ, I mean, it's biblical. Fruit will abound. There's evidence of that, right? And so as we seek him, then this is the outcome that we see. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I would just ask you right now to speak through me. God, I ask you to just use me. I pray that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would be upon me here in this pulpit today. I pray that your word would come forth sharp and penetrable, God. That it would be like that sword that cuts and divides. It discerns hearts. It cuts things out and purges things out that are impure and unhealthy but it also creates incision places for healthy and good things to be imparted and implanted. And I pray that your word would come forth and do that today. God, we ask that you would just speak to your servants. We say, speak, Lord, we are listening. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right, so the first point if you're taking notes, seeking the Lord, we're kind of going a little deeper from where we were at last week, I think. Uh, the first point, if you're taking notes, is healthy rhythms. Number one, healthy rhythms. So I've found that God invites us and compels us to implement healthy rhythms in our life that will lead to us being able to more effectively keep our eyes set on things above and not on beneath, to keep our eyes set on heaven. In the book of Numbers, chapter 28, and I'm just going to give you the summary of this. You can read this later. But God is instructing Moses in the ordinances that he is going to uh, require the people to follow. And he lays out 
a series of times of worship, sacrifice, praise, dedicated, sanctified time that is to be given to the Lord. He lays out the daily offerings, the weekly Sabbath, the monthly new moon, yearly festivals. It even goes on to talk about, I think this is in the next chapter, the Sabbath year, which is every seventh year. And then there's even what's called Jubilee, which is a 50th year, which is the year after seven Sabbaths years. It's really um, precise, actually, and very interesting. And it's one of these places in Scripture you could read and think, like, what did I just read? You ever had that happen? Um, But there's some really profound truth in this. So he lays out the Sabbath, the the, the daily offering, and this is where it begins. And he basically says, I want the people to sacrifice a lamb in the morning and in the evening. And then there's grain, and then there's oil, and there's even precise measurements of what's mixed and added to the altar with the sacrifice. And the Bible says when this happens, that it creates as if a sweet aroma that raises up or elevates up uh, into the throne room of heaven, and it is a sweet aroma that is pleasing to God. So if you can picture this, God is taking it in. He's receiving it. He is smiling because it's pleasing. And so his face looks towards that person who is offering this and they find favor with the Lord. So as they're seeking and praising and worshiping, right, devoted, then they're finding this favor from God and then favor of God results in the hand of God, of course, lifting us up. As I said last week, we seek the face, but it's the hand that raises us up. Many times people seek the the hand before they seek the face, right? Um, And so we see this happen in this demonstration of the sacrifice and the daily offerings. By the way, I think it's really cool that he said, I want you to start your day and end your day with this, which represents bookends. I think the message to us right now Uh, is that there should be points throughout every one of our days, throughout that day, where we draw attention to and focus on the goodness and just wonderful nature of God and who he is to us in our lives, right? That we, God owns the day. This is the day the Lord has made, so I will rejoice and be glad. Um, They're setting this in place daily because if we were just left to our human nature, probably what would happen is that all of a sudden one day we'd be like, oh my gosh, oh, it's been weeks since we did that offering, (laughs) right? Human nature, we drift, we veer. And so God says these things in order and says, I'm going to put some rhythms in place for you, and this is going to help keep your focus where it needs to be. But then he goes on and he says, the Sabbath. Now, we all probably know what the Sabbath is, right? It's one day out of the week, one out of seven that we sanctify and set aside not to labor, not to work, and devote that to being refreshed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And can I just point this out? It's meant to be a blessing and not a burden. The Bible says the Sabbath should be a delight to us. And it also gives us the, it puts us in the position where we have to have faith and trust that God can do more through me in six days than I, can do more on my, than I can do on my own in seven. Very similar to the tithe. So we see that is the once a week that there's the Sabbath. Now here's what you'll find if you read Numbers 28, that on the Sabbath, there was another list 
of sacrifice requirements. Other animals, more grain, more oils, things like that. But there's one word in particular that has struck me for the last few years in studying the scripture that I've just, God has not let me get away from. And the word is besides. He says, on the Sabbath, do all of these things besides or in addition to what I laid out for the daily offering. So it's added on top of. And then we could just kind of force, fast forward through the rest of this. There is the monthly new moon. Once a month, new moon, right? They come together, festival, increased, added on top of things that they're doing on a monthly rhythm. And then there's quarter, or uh, every year there are three festivals that are week-long and extended periods of time where they would travel and come to worship and just pause busyness in life to focus entirely on God. That's a novel thought, isn't it? And then we have the, the Sabbath year and all that other stuff. But the point is, is it's in addition to, not replacement. So if I was to say Katie had our child Dax, that would mean something to you. But if I was to say Katie had our son Dax seven years ago, besides Isabella, besides Annalise, besides Alyssa, besides Evelyn, besides Liza, and then came Dax. You'd be like, dude's crazy. No, you'd be like, okay, that's in addition to, on top of, above and beyond what we've already established. Am I making sense? So what is God saying? He's saying, I'm going to put some rhythms in your life. Because there are these points and these places that need inflection. They need, you, you need periods of increased intensity and pursuit. James says that the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Which means that there are periods of increased intensity where it gets into the fray or opposition to combat the challenge with, we're just pouring more gas on the fire. Right? Like every day can't be a festival. And I just want to encourage you with this. God knows that. God knows that. He knows that we have things that he's called us to, lives, vocations, families, all these things. Every day is not a festival, but there are festivals. Am I making sense? There, the, every day, yes, God says, I own that day. I created that day. I kind of like for you to acknowledge me and put your attention on me and thank me for the stars and the breath in your lungs and you know the creation all around you because it would be good for you if you did. But this is where I get to point number two, and I have to put point number two on top of point number one. You, you've got to get this, is that it's about relationship, not religion. Right? It's about relationship, not religion. Remember last week I said that there are things we remain really, really flexible about, bendable, adaptable, and there are things in our life that that's where we need to keep them, but there are other things that we need to remain absolutely immovable about and inflexible about. So it's in the anchoring of certain things that don't change that allow us to really steward the things that are changing well. And so God says, I'm going to put these rhythms in your life. Now, if it was just about the very specific nature of everything, 
then eventually every one of us would come to a point of disappointment, of heartache, and feeling feeling failure. Because no person can measure up 100% of the time to a set of rules. So here's what the Bible says. It's about relationship, not a religion, right? Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of things to come, the substance of which is Christ. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. So it just means he perfected what was already set in motion. Those things were helpful, but they were a blinking arrow to point to something that would actually be greater, which is Christ fulfilling the whole thing. So then Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians that now it's not about the letter of the law, it's about the spirit of the law. He says it's not etched in tablets of stone that the Holy Spirit now writes these things on our hearts so that we can live by conviction and not by condemnation. I'm going to say that again. So that we can live by conviction and not by condemnation. So it's not about religion It's about relationship. You see, God set these things in place. We got to get this. Not because he needed it. You get that, right? He is God all by himself. He's immutable. I mean, he's, it means he needs no one or nothing. He's God all alone. He fully sustains himself of nothing else cannot be said or no one else cannot be said. So he didn't lay all these things out because he needed it. He He actually laid these things out because he knew we needed it. These were meant to be a blessing, not a burden. They were meant to help us, not punish us. These are things that God says, if you'll follow these, it'll help you seek me. And as you keep seeking me, I can keep helping you. (laughs) I love that. I love that. God is always up to things that are for our good. But people will always grow weary, fatigued, and exhausted eventually from dry bones, dead religion. Always. Most people, every, people maybe just have a different timeline on where they reach that point. But I'm, I, I'm saying this to you with certainty because they never produce So eventually, whatever somebody's trying to follow or measure up to, that they get no spiritual, emotional fulfillment from, eventually it leads to disappointment. Or they miss the mark, and it leads to condemnation. But there's spiritual fruit and value to be found when we understand the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. I need rhythms in my life. I need daily focus. I need times of increased intensity, times where I'm going to go deeper with the Lord. And it's not because somebody slapped it down as a rule or an agenda item on a ledger in front of me. It's because the Holy Spirit says, son, 
I'm calling you in a little deeper right now. You're going through something, and frankly, you and I need to get shut in together for a little while, and I need to love on you, and I need to strengthen you, and I need to encourage you, and I need to impart some things, and it's not going to happen in 30 seconds. My heart is pulled there. You get that? I'm not following a rule. I'm being convicted, and I'm being compelled. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit to that place. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And when we steward them and put them in their right place, they're a blessing to us. But if we get them in their wrong place, then they can be a hindrance to us. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, There are folks who I've talked to when it comes to the tithe that they'll say, Pastor, I just insist, I'm just adamant that I am going to write that tithe check out Every single week or two weeks or month or whatever, I'm going to write the check out physically. I keep my checkbook for that reason. I sign it and I put it in that offering box on the way out because for me, there's something that's just that's connecting with God. There's something that brings me fulfillment uh, whenever I physically write that check out and drop it in the box. It's a rhythm, I would say. Now, there are other people, in fact, there was, one time there was a, a, a lady, I remember, and she actually had something at her job set up to where they just would withhold, because she set it and elected it, 10%, and we would just get checks to the church. So it was automated. It was just happening. So let me ask you a question. Is one right and one wrong? They're both in covenant, aren't they? They're both in covenant, under covenant, honoring God. But they had different rhythms that worked for them. So if we get religious over it, it can be a yoke around our neck. But if we understand that there's freedom in this, but the rhythm is healthy and we still need it, there's still spiritual application. We didn't throw it all out the window when grace came, <laughs> that there's still value, then we can, we can allow that to be a blessing to us and ultimately, as I'm indicating, help us continue to set our eyes on things above and keep seeking God through the longevity, through the duration of our lives because we never stop climbing the mountain with God. We don't get there. We don't arrive, right? We're always ascending in this journey, so we need something to help us keep our focus and keep our eyes set. But the opposite could be true too, where we could just get into a rhythm or a routine and forget the why behind it or the meaning, and then it becomes dry bones. There's a story, you guys all heard of Zig Ziglar? So he's a business coach, motivational speaker, you know, he's got some good stuff. And one time Zig Ziglar was doing a talk and he said, He gave a story about a woman who was preparing a Christmas ham, family dinner, and the woman's little girl came up to her and said, Mom, why why do you cut both ends of the ham off? You know how that one both sides are a lot of times are cut off, right? Well, why do you cut both ends of the ham off, Mom? She thought, Well, that's a pretty good question, actually. I don't really know the answer to that. I'm I've done it just because that's what grandma used to do. 
let's go in the living room and ask grandma, why did she cut the ends of the ham off? And I'm sure there's a good reason for it. So they go in and they say, grandma, why did we cut both ends of the ham off? And she said, oh, honey, I just did that because my oven was so small. (laughs) We're doing these things. You get my point. We're doing these things and we don't even know the why behind the what. There's fruit to be found there. There's nectar to be found, but we're missing it because now we're in rules or religion instead of the spirit of the law, which is meant to bear fruit in our lives and ultimately rhythms that just help us stay more focused on God. But we need need these things to, to help us stay focused because I think you would agree with me, there's a lot of clutter and a lot of noise in the world that's always trying to distract us. I mean, the, the, the simple volume and speed to which information comes to us nowadays is, is unprecedented. It's loud all the time. Y'all seen the, the cartoon Grinch? Still think it's the best one. Cartoon Grinch. And he says, I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll wake up and they'll beat their bambucas and they'll hit their trambucas. And it's like, it's like noise everywhere. I sometimes feel like that's the world that we're in nowadays. It's just loud all the time. Rhythms help us silence the noise so that we can hear what we need to hear. I've come to this place where I've adopted this definition now of success, and it's evolved over the years for me, and I suppose right now that this is never going to change anymore. But, you know, early on, it was money, wealth. If I'm a millionaire before I'm 30, that I would have kind of laid these things out. That would have been successful. And then it changed a little bit in the 30s, you know, legacy and what I leave behind, but really I've come to this place where this is how I define success. And I didn't come up with this, but I've embraced it. And it is to hear what God is telling me to do and obey it. Because I just figure if I can hear him and I do what he tells me to do, everything else is going to take care of itself. But I have found in order to do that, like that's, that sounds great. In order to do that, I need to be pretty rigorous about the volume control in my life. When we moved into this new facility here, we made a lot of upgrades in technology and equipment. One of the things that we invested in, which has proved to be very beneficial, is for the worship team and the media team, these things called in-ears. So you might have seen these little earpieces with the cord that the worship team is wearing here. And they have very specific intent and purpose they allow each of these musicians and vocalists to adjust the volume of all of the other instruments and noises that are happening so that they can hear only what they want to hear. So the drummer really needs to hear the drums and not have everything else overpower it, right? And the guitar player and the keyboard player and so on, you get the idea. They can control what they're hearing and what they're not hearing. I'm just trying to tell you that rhythms are healthy and rhythms help us do this. Find the rhythms that work for you in your life, but please find some (laughs) because they will help us 
to be able to continue seeking God whenever the things that are in the world try to knock us off of that path. We all agreed, we veer, we drift, we, right? So these things are like guardrails, if you will. They kind of help keep us on course. But know this, and let me give you a little bit of like permission, and I think God would say this is okay, right? When we make changes and adjustments and implement new rhythms that are foreign to us now, it, it's, there's going to be a process of change that might be uncomfortable or awkward. A few years ago, one of my advisors and counselors said, Matt, I think you need some new rhythms in your life when it comes to the time you spend with the Lord. Like, you, you need to be with God and spend a lot of time with God, not doing a bunch of things so that you can hear from God and lead from the direction of the Spirit. He said, this is just a suggestion, but I would recommend maybe getting away in the spring and in the fall for a three-day sabbatical. Just do it twice a year. Start there. If you can do more, great, but start there and just get alone with God. And I thought, this is awesome. This is great. This is exactly what I need, right? So I get there, and the first day, the first time I did this, the first day, if I could say it like this, I mean, it was, it was almost miserable because my flesh was screaming. I, can't, I probably picked my phone up 150 times and put it back down. Because you're supposed to, like, like now I actually take a burner phone. I shut my phones down, and I just take a burner phone for those days. But I was like, ah, oh, I just kept putting it back down, and I would want to check it. And then I think about, what am I doing? i got to look at emails. Oh, man, well, I'm probably getting behind on something. Maybe I can work on it. Well, no, that's not where I'm here, right? And the first day, it was like, ah, I am a mess. Who, who, who am I? And then the second day, it was a little better. It was a little better. Still difficult. Had the phone on airplane mode by then, and it was, you know, going better, but still difficult. By the third day, it was like, I found it. I just, I found this place that I was trying to get to. And I remember as it was over, it was ending, and I said, uh, Lord, thank you so much. It was like he just, he did something in my soul that I couldn't even put my finger on, and I was just so improved going back, you know. But I remember saying, Lord, thank you so much. Um, this first couple days were a little rough, you know, but, but the third day was great, Lord. Thank you for that. And I felt like he just spoke to me and said, I'm glad you finally showed up. <laughs> but I just want to encourage you that when you make a decision to implement new rhythms, one, your flesh is going to need to be subdued. And you probably need to know this too. The enemy isn't going to like it either. He's going to try to disrupt that and throw it off. You can't do that. You make you feel guilty. I mean, there's all kinds of things he'll try to do, right? You get it. But when we set our rhythms in place, shorter term, longer term, it's inflection points 
periods of increased intensity. Interval training runners understand that only in training in intervals, increased periods, I'm going to sprint for 60 seconds and I'm going to jog, I'm going to hit the hill. It's, it's all this fluctuation. It shocks the system. More growth, more expanded capacity is achieved by training that way than just flatlining at one pace and one speed all of the time. So they force themselves into interval training so that they can eventually improve time, endurance, distance, all of that stuff. And so I think the Lord understands that, don't you, about how we work. He says there's a daily rhythm, but I want you to adopt a weekly rhythm, monthly rhythms. I want you to implement rhythms in your life that are about relationship, not religion, because at the end of the day, it's about you getting closer to me. I don't need it, but you need it. And if you'll do that, then you'll continue to seek me, and I will continue to marvelously help you. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Soon as we start seeking something amazing, you know, what no man can do, God can do. He can peer into the heart of that man or woman and say, it's tested, it's genuine, they're seeking me, and now I'm going to reward them by blessing them and by revealing more of myself to them so that they can know me more, and it's in that in which we glory. Wow. Third point, last one, is when we do this, we find everything we ever need. Everything you ever need. Now, that's a bold statement. But you could take an entire semester, probably two semesters in seminary, and just study the sufficiency of Christ. And the sufficiency of Christ, in a very distilled down definition, means everything we would ever need can be found entirely in him. And anything found outside of him, we don't really need. Sufficiency. But my point in this is, in telling you this, is that we find everything we ever need in Christ, that as we seek him... First, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and then all essential things, anything necessary to do the work that God wants us uniquely to do, that he's setting us on mission to do, all those essential things will be added unto you. Again, but we seek the face before the hand, that power and provision. So I just want to give you, in closing, a few things that the Bible is telling us we get, we find by seeking God and by living in his presence, okay? Because it's amazing. I just went through scripture. I just pulled a bunch of stuff out, and frankly, there's more. But these are some things that I thought, wow, that, <laughs> that's quite a package. Number one is peace. The Bible says in Isaiah 26 that God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind remains fixed on him. Now, I want to tell you this. This is a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a peace that you can feel and have inside when there is a storm raging on the outside, and it won't even make sense to you how you can still have peace. Rationally, logically, you should not have it. But by the grace of God, you can walk in it. 
doesn't mean that the chaos isn't there and you don't deal with it. It just means it doesn't rob you of the peace that God has given you on the inside. Number two, strength. Strength. It says that as we remain in God and walk with him, that he has everlasting strength that he provides to us. I'm not talking about like, I'm wore out, let me just take a quick breath and then keep going, and then I'm wore out again at the next leg of the journey. I'm talking about your functioning at optimum capacity, fully charged, energized, healthy, and strong at every season, every leg of the journey. The strength you need to do what God is calling you to do is not lacking. That is found in his peace. Wisdom. Understanding. You know, it said about Uzziah that he made devices for war, things that were cutting edge. He says machines for throwing stones off of walls. I think that's probably catapults. It says things for shooting arrows. Like he, he had understanding that was ahead of his time. He was given wisdom and knowledge to discern and navigate the times that he was in. And I'm sure you would agree with me, church, we need wisdom and discernment to navigate the complexity of the times we find ourselves in right now. It's not a knowledge that's attainable in books. It is a wisdom that is imparted from the Holy Spirit, found in walking and seeking, walking with and seeking God. Pleasures. And joy. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist tells us. Pleasure, things that satisfy the soul, the needs that no earthly treasure could ever actually provide for us. We try to feed ourselves earthly treasure to satisfy needs to meet pleasure, but the reality is, is that none of them ever can compare to the fullness of pleasure that's found just living in Christ and with him along the way. But also joy. Once again, this joy that is impossible to be stolen away from us by the conditions of the world. I find it to be one of the most miraculous things, frankly. Am I right, Vicki? That you can be in the midst of a tragedy or heartache, or difficulty, and, and, and you have grief, you have pain and suffering, yet somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, simultaneously, I have unspeakable joy. Explain that to me. Only found in a relationship lived in the presence of God and seeking the Lord. Protection. Those who abide in the secret or dwell in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You can have an assault coming against you. People intent on your harm, the enemy launching arrows, whatever it might be, and you know that you're under the canopy of God's supernatural protection. He said he had a hedge around Job. God wants to put a hedge around you and protect you. And then you walk in faith and confidence knowing I don't have to worry about these things because God is protecting me. I don't have to protect myself. 
You don't find that on your own. You find that in a relationship with Christ. And security. Security. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm, I'm good with who God created me to be. Flawed, per, imperfect, all that, sure. But I'm his. And he's mine. And my identity comes from nothing else. This will run people-pleasing right out of your life so fast. I mean, if people are pleased with the way I live my life, great, wonderful. So long as the only reason is, is because my compass is set true north. I'm pleasing him. And if everybody else is pleased, great. And if they're not, then oh well too. Right? We don't have to be threatened by what people think. It's the security of identity. It's a pretty good package, isn't it? It's just some. And the last one I'll give you, this is the obvious one. Things that we find in seeking him. Him. (laughs) That's really the greatest. All the other stuff comes by way of the hand. Him, we seek the face. When you seek me, Jeremiah 29, 13. When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Hmm. I love this. The God of the universe that sits on the throne above all. You know how sometimes people say like, I just hope the universe sends me good vibes or whatever and stuff, you know? I think I serve the God who created the universe. (laughs) I want him to send me vibes or whatever, you know, and grace and favor. Acknowledge the universe all you want. It's a created thing. I serve the creator of that. <laughs> Whoo, hallelujah. Yeah, good stuff right there. Uh, but the last thing we find is him, right? And this is so encouraging to our hearts, to the hearts of those who are lost and perishing, because this is what it means. That God who created the universe, who's, who willed it into existence, that's how powerful he is. A relationship with him. It's not unattainable. He's not some God in some distant land that's unreachable, that we can never know, that we just have to acknowledge and worship, but you know, we can't ever really get past this gap. No, it's fully attainable. It's the whole reason he sent Jesus was to close the chasm and that gulf and bring us back into relationship with him that he would call us friend. I want to walk with you. I want to guide you. I want to help you. I want to be your friend, the God of the universe. When we seek him, we find him. Amen? So I'll close with this. One last time on Uzziah. The end of his story. There's, a, there's a, an arc in this. There always is, but there's an arc in this that points to Christ. Really to the cross. And when Uzziah decided at the pinnacle of his pride that he was going to go into the temple and burn incense himself, what he was doing was he was usurping, attempting to usurp and circumvent God's created plan. The priest was meant to be the mediator, 
to burn the incense to offer up for forgiveness and for sacrifice for the people. Okay? He says, I used to need a mediator. I don't need a mediator anymore. I got this. I'm going to do this on my own. And he's so stubborn and caught up in his pride that he refuses to heed the warnings, forces his way in, tries to circumvent the mediator that he really needs and do it all on his own. And eventually, it says he is cast out of the presence of God for the rest of his life. So do you see the picture? Now, Jesus comes along, praise God, brings in the new covenant. And the Bible tells us very cleanly, clean, clearly and plainly that he became the final high priest once and for all. He is the mediator and there's never a need for another one again. So he fulfilled it, perfected it. But the point of that is, we all have to recognize that we need that mediator. We can't look at life. We can't look at destiny. We can't look at our callings. And we certainly can't look at eternity and say, I got this. Because you don't. You don't have it. And I pray that we find the reality of that truth now rather than a point that may come and that will for some where eventually they refuse to humble themselves, acknowledge their need and dependency for a mediator, for Christ. And in that spirit of pride all the way to the grave, the Bible makes it very clear, this is truth, that they will be cast out of the presence of God for all of eternity. But there's a better way. And it comes by when we first humble ourselves. I can't. I I don't got this. (laughs) I don't. Not at all. Never did. Never did. And I certainly don't now. But I know the one who does. 